Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot podcast, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. On today's episode, we're talking about what could arguably be considered the most chaotic Academy Awards ceremony in recent history. And that's saying a lot, considering just a couple years ago, the wrong Best Picture winner was announced. I'll go over the key moments from the night, the records that were broken, and of course, the slap heard around the world from Will Smith to Chris Rock. Joining me to go over this year's Oscars incident, if you will, is writer, activist, and literally one of my favorite thinkers, Ashley Marie Preston. Oh, and don't think I won't be talking about that Lady Gaga, Liza Minnelli moment. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. You know, I went into watching this year's Oscars thinking it was going to be fairly typical, some expected winners and stuff, you know, and for the most part, that's exactly what happened. Ariana DeBose won for West Side Story, Troy Kotzer won for Coda. I was a bit bummed that Lin-Manuel Miranda lost to Billie Eilish for Best Original Song, but, you know, what do I know about music? But then, as I'm live blogging the ceremony for Newsweek.com, this happens. Before I play it, just a warning that this audio might be uncomfortable for some people to listen to. You know who's got the hardest job tonight? Javier Bardem and his wife are both nominated. Now, if she loses, he can't win! (laughs) He is praying that Will Smith wins. Like, please, Lord! Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it, all right? That was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh oh. Richard. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. 
Get my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I'm going to, okay? <laughs> I could, oh, okay. That was a greatest night in the history of television. Okay. Okay. I was like, wait, did that? literally just happen yes yes it actually just happened and like most people watching at home i thought it was part of the show but then i was like wait chris rock is a great comedian he'd have a better comeback if this was all planned like it it definitely was not planned that slap will smith planted on chris rock became the show the moment of the night the thing that overshadowed some of the wins of that evening like jessica chastain for the eyes of tammy faye and her beautiful speech. You really should go check it out. And the film Coda winning for Best Picture. It was such a moment. And if you haven't seen Coda, you really should go watch Coda. It is such a good movie. But everyone in that room and at home was still thinking about that slap. Well, except for that moment when Lady Gaga told Liza Minnelli. We're going to tell you who it is. are right now. Oh, good. <laughs> I got you. And everyone's heart melted. I mean, just her saying, I got you, those three little words to an aging icon who deserves an immense amount of respect became kind of like a tiny moment of some much-needed humanity that night. We all basically became Gaga's little monsters in that moment. I'm sorry, you're going to have to deal with it. You are now officially a little monster. But still, the conversation is about the Will Smith-Chris Rock altercation. Smith did win the Oscar for Best Actor, receiving a standing ovation from the audience, and went on to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Um, this is a beautiful moment, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crying for winning an award. It's not, it's not about winning an award for me. It's about being able to shine light on all of the people, Tim and, and Trevor and Zach and Sanaya and Demi and Ingenue and the entire cast and crew of King Richard and Venus and Serena, the, the entire Williams family. Um, Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said. <laughs> I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. Um, but love will make you do crazy things. Since this moment, Smith has issued an apology to Chris Rock. Writing in an Instagram post, Smith said, Violence in all its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. Jokes at my expense are part of the job, but a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear, and I reacted emotionally. I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line, and I was wrong. I'm embarrassed, and my actions were not indicative of the man I want to be. There is no place for violence in a world of love and kindness. Smith went on to apologize to the Academy again, ending his note with, I am a work in progress. To go over all this, I chatted with one of the smartest people I know writer and activist Ashley Marie Preston. So 
with the Oscar situation, I I want to talk to this person about everything, not even just the Oscar situation. I want to talk to Ashley Marie Preston, Preston about literally everything, <laughs> like even like what type of toast I should be eating in the morning. So, Ashley, thank you for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so I'm such a fan of yours and I think you're just so perfect. And you had posted a tweet um, that really resonated with me about this whole Oscar situation and everything that's happening with Chris and Will and the conversation that's happening online and 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 Jada's part in that conversation and how a lot of people I think are forgetting Jada's part in this conversation. It's a lot about Will and Chris and not much about what we maybe should be talking about. But your tweet, which I'll read, said, I've been targeted like Jada, have exercised poor judgment like Chris, have reacted like Will. The duality has trained me to bypass knee-jerk reactions to other people's miscalculations, reflect on my own growth and transformation, and keep working toward a collective healing, which I think sums up every single conversation that I'm seeing on the internet. Yes. <laughs> I feel like everyone needs to hear that. <laughs> so Absolutely. Wanna, what did you, what, what, what made you want to write that tweet? And what are your thoughts in general to specifically the conversation that's happening right now about the, the altercation? Sure. I think the intention behind that tweet was to help people unsubscribe from this binary thought of what it means to be the protagonist versus the antagonist. Mm -hmm. We think in these absolute binaries are of, of good and bad. And sometimes our own notions of what it means to be a good person clouds our ability to see our areas of opportunity to grow mm -hmm. and it actually stunts that growth and that evolution as a society and so i know that the truth of the matter like i said is that i have been as a black trans woman in the situation where i have felt targeted by comedy that was sharp and pointed and i've also said things that were hurtful and harmful because I was socially conditioned to believe that it was okay and that my opinion took precedent over someone else's sense of safety and, you know, feeling affirmed and seen. Mm -hmm. And likewise, I've been like Will <laughs> yeah. and I have allowed my emotions uh, and my past traumas and the experiences um, that have harmed me to lead me to contribute to the cycle of violence, as I call it. And so we saw on that stage the cycle of violence play out and Chris's commentary on Jada's hair, which there's a lot of, you know, cultural history there, a lot of, you know, policing of Black women's bodies and all of these different things. And then you also saw, you know, uh, Will's reaction, which is a lot of times coming from a place of needing to protect your family and those that you care about. And when we think about Black people's history in America and slavery and all of these different things that, um, you know, happened that destroyed the family dynamic and impeded a man's ability to protect his loved ones and his family, there's this test of masculinity and this pressure to prove that, you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. so I think that tweet in general was really to get people to open their eyes and see how we all have the potential mm -hmm. to act out in any given way and how we all have a social responsibility to shape a society 
that mitigates harm against all people. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I mean, I'll be, so I'll just be very casual and real. When I was watching the Oscars and it happened, I, my first thought was, I thought it was like, like, I think most people watching, I thought it was part of the show. I thought something mm-hmm. was going on, you know? <laughs> and then when I heard Chris Rock's very unfunny response, I was like, Chris Rock mm-hmm. would never have a response like that if this was planned. Like the, it would have been a funnier response if this was, yeah. this was not planned. This is real. And I, I knew about Jada's medical condition, alopecia, mm-hmm. and, and I was aware of it. And I'm also, you know, I'm also aware that Chris Rock did a film on, on black women's hair or black hair in general, but mm-hmm. a lot of it was about black women's hair. And, but I didn't connect it instantly. And then as soon as I did, as soon as I saw that's where the conversation was going, because my first thought was, oh, well, no one should hit someone else. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I've done comedy. Like I, I know, I don't want people being beat up over comedy. Like I think there should be, I think comedians should be held accountable a lot. I don't think comedians are above being held accountable at all. I don't think Mm -hmm. anyone's above being held accountable, but I also don't think anyone should be hit. But when I, when I saw it and I saw where the conversation was going, I immediately was like, this is deeper. This is deep. Mm -hmm. This is about, this is about oftentimes sort of the toxic masculinity between men and how black women, women in general, but black women specifically are often overlooked in these conversations. And we kind mm-hmm. of, I'm seeing that the conversation stopped being about Jada and 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 the response to her hair, which is a huge cultural topic conversation that I'm not equipped to have about, but that's why I want you to be able to speak about it because you know this, but it's now, it seemed about only about the aggressions between Will and Chris. And I wanted to know what, what is that sort of cultural reaction to the GI Jane joke, the hair, even what, even you, a lot of people, I think a lot of white people see it as a flippant joke that it was just a joke, but it's, it goes deeper within the black women community about hair. And I wanted to know if you could maybe explain that a little bit. Well, I think a lot of it is rooted in uh, white supremacy and Eurocentric standards of beauty and the ways in which black women historically and presently have been held to these unrealistic standards that fail to celebrate our differences and the things that make us beautiful. And so um, I think that, I think that there is this policing of black bodies, as I mentioned before, more specifically black women and the constant underscoring of attributes and aspects of our personhood in ways that are negative or that uh, seek to diminish who we are in our natural beauty. But I think bigger than that, to be honest, I think the main conversation here is really around transformative justice. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the truth of the matter is that a lot of the commentary that I've seen on social media from people about Will's actions and how Chris should respond are often rooted in carceral culture. This mm-hmm. idea that when we make mistakes, there has to be um, you know, public shaming and that there must be punishment. And so, you know, for those who may be listening who don't understand what I mean by, you know, transformative justice, um, it's essentially a political framework and approach to responding to violence, harm, and abuse that um, seeks to do so without creating more harm and violence and without contributing to the current criminal justice system. Um, Because what we see is that um, the actions of marginalized communities are often scrutinized without taking into 
consideration or account the systems and institutions that are directly responsible for creating the conditions that we're responding to. So a lot of the violence and the anger and, you know, some of the things that we've seen displayed publicly, there's an underlying systemic root there. And I think that um, we can't heal. You know, I'm always saying we can't heal what we don't reveal. We can't truly heal the cultural and societal sickness that continues to to exacerbate the violence that that we see play out without addressing systems and institutions directly responsible. And so I think that transformative justice and healing justice, which is an approach to access ancestral remedies and solutions to healing generational and systemic trauma, I think the two of those together are what the conversation should really be centered on, you know? And in centering that, I, the thing that I like about it the most is that it invites all of us to interrogate our own participation, Mm -hmm. to think about the ways in which we have been, like I said, we've been Jada, we've been Chris, we've been Will. I think that true transformation, it it begins within. And I think it's important to discuss the discomfort in discourse that really exposes all of those, um, you know, those wounds and those, Mm -hmm. you know, opportunities to, um, I guess, do better. Yeah. It's also, I think, a wonderful opportunity. I love that you said that because I think it's a wonderful opportunity. You're right. There is an uncomfort, I I think, particularly among white people in recognizing that what might just be a slap or a punch or a fight Mm -hmm. is deeper. And that that deepness, that that cultural, the systemic sort of racism that built up sometimes in these institutions that were all, I mean, you look at the Oscars and frankly, even though there were some historic moments that night, mm-hmm. how many people of color won? And and it was mostly white people for a bunch of movies that were about white people. And so <laughs> it, it is, we still have those barriers and those walls that are built up. And this moment, I think, and I think you're so right, could be a teachable moment, an uncomfortable moment for a lot of white mm-hmm. people to recognize, oh, well, maybe these aggressions that we have come from these things that we've built up over time. And Maybe we should be addressing those. And maybe we should be listening to people who are talking about those systemic aggressions that have built up over time and listen more than react sometimes. And more importantly, I think it's important for us to move away from this culture of shame and punishment as a remedy for growth, because I personally do not believe that shame is an effective tool of transformation. Mm -hmm. If anything, shaming people without giving them the opportunity to recognize the error of their ways actually, in many cases, compounds the trauma and it actually makes people do the exact opposite. And so I think what really, the thing that I found most concerning about much of the commentary that was happening is that there wasn't an acknowledgement that will acknowledge his behavior. Yeah. And that will or acknowledge understand. it in the way people wanted him to acknowledge it. That's that's yeah. a key thing too. Exactly. And, yeah. and so the thing that we must ask ourselves is if this conversation isn't about growth, healing, and transformation, what are we even talking about? Yeah. What's the point? 
what is the point? And this is a huge talking point right now as everyone is talking about cancel culture and all of these different things that are going on and, you know, striking the balance between public displays of accountability and how we sometimes consume those public displays of accountability as entertainment, which is very toxic and harmful and counterproductive to what we're trying to do um, as a collective. And it's a conversation about, again, carceral culture, this need to punish people and not let people move beyond their mistakes. And it's not really up to us to decide whether someone means it or not. It's up to us to model the blueprint for how we heal harm. And so for me, I think that how I'm personally contributing to that is instead of approaching the conversation outside of it, as if I'm a spectator, I get to use my own experiences, you know, the things that made me feel broken, unworthy, unlovable, or even unforgivable, and use them as a light at the end of the tunnel for those who are still navigating the shadows of their own humanity. You know, none of us are perfect at all. Like, you know, and that shouldn't be used as a way to absolve ourselves from the responsibility of taking accountability. However, um, I think that, again, I asked myself a question in 2019 that completely transformed my advocacy in the way that I do this work. And the question that I asked myself was, do I want to be right or do I want to be impactful? Mm. And some people pushed back and said, well, you can actually do both at the same time. But then I responded with the truth of the matter is that if you're truly trying to be uh, impactful, that need to be right is going to hold you back because it's rooted in righteousness and ego. You know, when in reality, that desire for impact is going to be rooted in repair and healing and transformation. And so I think that when we find ourselves in the middle of these debates and opinions about who's right, who's wrong, who should do, I think it's important to immediately step back, think about, talk about, and address what the moment brings up for us. Mm -hmm. Because nine times out of 10, it brings up something that has nothing to do with the subjects that we're discussing. It has nothing to do with Will. It has nothing to do with Jada. It has nothing to do with Chris. And it has everything to do with our own uh, feelings of, you know, validation, safety, and things like that. Quite frankly, there were a lot of white people that I saw talking about it. And there were moments when I was like, could this possibly have anything to do with your internalized tropes of Black people being violent? Or does this, it was almost like there were some people that were chomping at the bits because for the first time in a long time, they had an example that they could attach their stigma or stereotype or bias to. So they had a scenario that now they can say that, well, no, like I'm not being, you know, I'm not racist or I'm not being this, like, but this is what I've seen. When in reality, again, how did it make you feel? And I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. And that's the other piece. We have to really remove ourselves from these binary uh, thoughts around what it means to be right or wrong. It's just between you, uh, uh, the universe, and whatever higher power, you know, you use to navigate uh, the world through. And so for me, when I saw that happen on stage, I immediately, I'm not going to lie, let me share some of my humanity. When I saw Will Smith's sock, Chris Rock, I was like, 
okay, now do Dave Chappelle. Because there are other people yeah. who have been just as violent, not just toward, you know, uh, black women or people with, uh, with disabilities. There are comedians who have said things about survivors of rape culture. There are, you know, they've said things about trans people, non-binary folks, all these different things. But then I had to check my own thought and be like, congratulations, you played yourself. This is how we continue to um, sustain this cycle of violence because there is never an instance where we can use one form to justify the other. And again, we can, but do we want to be right or do we want to be impactful? And then after I thought about that and, you know, there were people who were like, oh, they should rescind his award. They should take back the award. And then I was like, okay, so when are y'all coming to get, you know, Woody Allen's award? Or when are y'all coming to get Roman Polanski's award? Or, you know, all of these people, again, Mm -hmm. these double standards that only apply to marginalized communities. So that being said, that's not to take away from the accountability or responsibility that needed to happen, but that did happen. And so the question that we need to ask the collective is, when do people get to grow? When do we get to do better? What are the conditions and the circumstances that we're willing to contribute and put into place that allow people to reach their highest self or to become the highest version of themselves? And the truth of the matter is that a lot of people are not invested in that. They're simply consuming public displays of accountability as entertainment, therefore contributing to the cycle of violence. And that's what's so interesting. I mean, you a part of what you said made me think of, so I watch The View every single morning, primarily for my Whoopi and my Sonny Hostin. And Sonny Hostin said this morning, Gail King also said something similar, but which I, she's my other woman I watch every single morning. Um, But Sonny Hostin said that it's not cancel culture, it's accountability culture. And you can hold someone accountable and allow them to grow. It doesn't matter where they come from or where what 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 their wrong was. You can allow someone to grow and be and hold them accountable while at the same time leading with empathy and growth and understanding. And mm-hmm. hopefully we can get to a place maybe where like our, our first knee jerk reaction isn't take his Oscar away, take him away, put him a jail, like all the, and instead be like, well, maybe why did he say that? Or why did he react like that? And I think, I think it goes without saying, I think most people would agree. You shouldn't be hitting people in general. Like you shouldn't. Yes. You shouldn't be hitting people. I've always said that we have to create a culture where we hold people accountable and hold them at the same time. And so, again, revisiting this nine binary uh, or or this uh, this binary thought of what it means to be right or wrong as it pertains to cancel culture. I think two things could be true at the same time. I do think that there are individuals who use cancel culture as a way to absolve themselves of the responsibility of taking accountability for their harm and repairing it. Mm -hmm. And cancel culture is real. It's a question of who it applies to. Yeah. Because cancel culture is real for Black women and brown women or people of color. It's real for Black men. It's real for historically disenfranchised communities. So I think it's important that we be very clear that when we're talking about cancel culture, it really is real. It's just a matter of who it's being applied toward, which groups of people are afforded redemption and grace and compassion. And I think ultimately it's an opportunity for us to be more intentional about not excusing or condoning or making excuses for the behavior of marginalized communities. But again, 
we have to trace it back to the systemic and institutional catalyst for a lot of how we show up in the world and how we react to trauma. So at this stage of my life and in my personal advocacy and work, I'm more focused on healing. I'm focused on transformative justice and healing justice. Mm -hmm. And I'm more focused on how we repair people, how we help people come out on the other side of it as better people. And personally, I'm always talking about the ways in which, you know, people celebrate me for being, you know, a thought leader and you're so amazing and you're this and you're that. That took work. Yeah. I did not. Anybody who knows my full story knows like I'm from Kentucky. Like I was born in Six Flags over Mitch McConnell. Every (laughs) I came to L.A. being problematic AF. There were a lot of beliefs. And here's what's even funny. That was not even taught in my household. Yeah. My mother didn't teach me most of the problematic, you know, culturally insensitive things that I thought and said in my past had nothing to do with my upbringing, but everything to do with what I was consuming, you know, so uh, uh, yes, exactly. So there was a lot of social uh, conditioning that took place. The only difference is I'm not sitting up here playing in people's faces and acting like, you know, that wasn't who I was. We tend to yeah. do that as a society when we reach this place where we're like, oh, we, as, you know, as a consensus, or we agree that this is no longer okay, but yeah. then we pretend like we never did it or like it yeah. never happened. Or recognizing that you can grow from that. You can change yes. from that. But there's, I mean, even for like, I think for myself as a white gay man, there's a lot of things. And as a writer too, there's a lot of things that I've said maybe in the past that culturally we've moved on from that yes. evolved from and that I've evolved from that I look back on and I'm like, Oh, I don't like 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 with drag race and saying like she male or like the use of the mm-hmm. word planning or even just sort of the understanding of like, you know, appropriating black female culture. I now look at it and I'm like, that is something that we adopted as a community that yes. we accepted and we shouldn't have. And I can hold myself accountable for those things while at the same time recognizing I'm not a horrible person and I can do the work to then be better and to do better. Yeah. And to have friends like you in the world that can show me better and and we can show each other better and and grow and harmony and violence. <laughs> but that's the thing that for me, this is where I'm really excited about the people that I've been collaborating with and using storytelling and public speaking and, you know, different spaces to talk about the ways in which we grow societally, where we expand our consciousness. And so, again, I think it's one of those things that um, I'm more interested in where someone goes Mm, from that mistake, from that error, from that place, from that miscalculation. And I, I would encourage people to start using their own experiences as a, you know, as a blueprint or like an on-ramp into showing others how to take accountability and how to heal. And I think ultimately, like I said, I think it's one of those things where, um, I, I, I just think sometimes the way that we're engaging discourse is just so lazy so, I have to tell the truth. It's just lazy. It's lazy. It's not creative. Because, <laughs> no. <laughs> like even the G.I. Jane joke is not. I mean, you, there are better jokes, honey. Like there's, you can, yeah. why? it's so lazy. But again, I think that there's been a paradigm shift. And I think a lot of people are 
becoming more aware and conscious of how we move throughout the world and the socio-economic and political impact that it has on marginalized people, even violence against other marginalized folks. You know what I mean? Um, You know, the fact that people can immediately say that was wrong, like, you know, Chris Rock shouldn't have said that about they didn't have that energy when Dave Chappelle was up there talking about trans people and survivors of rape and sexual assault and people with disabilities and all these things. So we pick and choose which bodies or which identities are worthy of dignity, grace, and compassion and which ones aren't. And so again, that tweet was intended to really open people's minds and get them thinking about the ways in which they consciously and subconsciously contribute to the culture of violence mm. that, you know, that justifies or makes excuses or concessions for when it is appropriate to do that, to say something harmful and when it yeah. isn't. And so ultimately, we're all doing the best we can. Humanity is yeah. very messy. Yes. Um, yeah. It's very painful. It's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not It's not pretty. Growth is not pretty, you know? There's a joke in there somewhere, but g- growth is not pretty at all. No. And, and, but we have to do it in order to, to evolve. I have one last question for you that I think, uh-huh. I read somewhere in an op-ed or something, I forget where, and I feel so bad about forgetting where I read it, but there was an interesting article about how the film King Richard is about Serena and Venus Williams' father. And when it first came out, I will admit my first reaction was, well, I want a movie about them. I don't want a movie about the dad. You know what I mean? Like, I want a movie about Serena and Venus. And during everything that happened and during uh, Will Smith's acceptance speech, it did feel there's the, the article sort of put the situation on that Serena and Venus were once again overshadowed by the male in the room, by you know, the, the, that sort of aggressive energy that they've had throughout their career sometimes been overshadowed in certain situations. And the article went on to pinpoint certain things within their uh, sports career. And I wanted to know, do you think that this, this moment overshadowed what could have been a beautiful crowning night for Serena and Venus's legacy, basically, and, and, and a real crowning achievement for who they are as, as some of the best sports figures in history and also some of the best black women in history. I mean, in general, like they're incredible. And, and also does it overshadow the other winners that night too? Did it take away from some of the historic achievements of the night? So I think personally that we give media more credit than it deserves. <laughs> um, and I'm saying that as someone who is in media, yeah, yeah, exactly. who, yeah. <laughs> because the truth is that it only overshadows those achievements if we allow it to overshadow those achievements, yes. which is why I personally didn't want to share like all of the viral videos of like Will and Chris and all of it's basically media responds to public interest essentially. So if you're interested in the drama Mm-hmm. of a moment, then that's what media is going to give you more of. So instead of blaming media for overshadowing certain things or, or for basically moments being overshadowed, I, I think, again, mm-hmm. we get to take accountability as a collective and say, what is it about our lust and appetite, our insatiable appetite yeah. for trauma and drama and all of those different things? that prevents us from uplifting these people, from us having conversations on our personal platforms and pages that celebrate and affirm 
these individuals. We still have an opportunity to do that. But instead, you know, and I talked about this before when I was talking about social media and how there um, is an emerging hate economy Mm. that commodifies and capitalizes on conflict and contention. And the thing is, we all, in many ways, continue to be active players in strengthening those, like, economy models or things like that. Like, we contribute to it unknowingly sometimes. And so I do think it definitely, you know, that moment pulled focus in a lot of ways, but then there were opportunities that actually recentered. Yeah those uh, winners and the people who had, you know, made history and even so much so. And when you look, there were like a lot of people that were upset because they saw after uh, Will had won the award, they saw, you know, him dancing and celebrating and receiving love and everybody be, you know, all around him. And it was very clear that while it was a very uncomfortable moment, there was a collective conscious that refused to allow that moment to, you know, Mm -hmm. to take away from the present joy, the ever real present joy. And so again, for communities of color or for historically disenfranchised uh, uh, folks altogether, we've had to always uh, uh, do this dance with trauma and joy and perseverance and resilience and all of these things simultaneously. So that's part of our duality um, as historically disenfranchised people is that we can have those moments, but we don't allow those moments to define us. And we don't allow those moments to impede our ability to thrive and transcend in spite of, you know, it, we don't allow those kind of moments to over to, impede our ability to overcome insurmountable odds. And so I would, again, challenge people to look at it through a cultural lens and understand that, again, two things could be true at one time. Um, So it could be that moment that shocked a lot of people and people weren't ready for it. And people were left guessing, is this real? Is the stage? Is this whatever? And we get to then go back and completely change the narrative and we get to center the people who deserve that focus and the yeah. people who had deserved that praise and deserve that recognition. I think we as consumers need to take accountability again yeah. for the content we consume and how we direct the focus and what we tell media we want to see more of. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think it's, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't condone anyone's actions in the situation, either the joke or the the slap. But I do think it's 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 important to remember that Will Smith is only, I think, the fifth black male actor to win a leading Oscar in the history and the 94 years of the Oscars. It has not happened often. And all three people involved, you know, Chris Rock, Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith don't come from celebrity means. They worked their asses off to get to the place where they could sit in the front row of the Academy Awards and win an Oscar or present an Oscar and be there as a valued member. And it's it's a, it's an achievement that I think deserves some celebrating for all three of them. It's 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 incredible that the talent they are and, and who they are and the records that they've broken. And it's just it's it's something that should not be lost, I think, in the conversation. Yeah. One yeah. of the things I've always loved about Will Smith is his willingness and desire to grow. And I, I've been, so I didn't just enter the chat 
when he sought Chris Rock. Like, I have been actually following Will Smith for some time. I see a lot of his, uh, you know, panels and keynotes and the things that he shares with us about his own personal growth, evolution, and transformation. And so I know without a shadow of doubt that this moment that we experienced will be used as a teaching moment and a tool to help other people overcome, you know, those aspects of our character that sometimes hold us back. I don't think it's as binary as he's good or bad or he's done. Nobody is. (laughs) Nobody is. No, there's no, there is no good or bad in anybody. There's always that gray area. And I've always said it. If you get stuck in an elevator with anyone, get stuck in an elevator with Will Smith. It'll be the most entertaining elevator (laughs) rapage you'll ever have. It's never happened to me, but I'm hoping it does someday. Ashley, you are a delight. And I think everyone should go follow you and 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 absorb your wisdom because you are one of you're literally I have you favorited on Instagram. Instagram just released it, and I favorited you because I want your. Oh, thank you so much. So fun, <laughs> and I love that I can call you a friend. Where can people follow you on the internet and follow your great work? Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Ashley A S H L E E Marie Preston. You can follow me on Twitter Ashley. M Preston. Um, although I typically turn off all of my engagements because Twitter's like really toxic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it can be for a lot of people. It can, be. it can be. Um, and I have a Facebook and my um account is public, so I, I interact with people there. So yeah, that's where Wonderful. you can follow me. Um, and I think ultimately I also like to name a couple of people for others to follow as sure. well. Please, um please. So I would say definitely follow uh, Sonia Renee Taylor, who Mm. is an amazing um, Black woman. And the way that she unpacks a lot of the systemic and social, you know, generational trauma, all these different things, she's amazing. I liked her commentary on this, too. I would also suggest following Alok Menenbaid, who is a non-binary queer person of color, who um, definitely talks a lot about race and gender and, you know, how colonization has influenced the way that we think about these subjects. There's so many people and I can't think of a lot of them right now. But yeah, those are some of my favorites. Well, and we'll we'll include, including yours, uh, links to their best social media handles in the show notes for this episode so that people can go follow them and, and also follow you. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On the next Parting Shot podcast, I'll be talking with Patrick Stewart about the second season of the Paramount Plus series, Star Trek Picard. We'll chat about how Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry never really wanted Stewart to play Jean-Luc Picard. And we'll go deep into our shared love of pockets. Yes, I said pockets. Thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot podcast. If you like what you just heard, and I really hope you did because it was a great episode, please leave a little rating and review and share it on social media. 
You can also follow me at Scott on everything. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. 